0: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Voices. This is, uh, this is episode six, and this week it's Occupy Frontier Ecom- e- Economics. <laughs> I choked on that. Uh, <laughs> we've, uh, we've got our guests, uh, Brian Oxted. Can you say hi for me, Brian? And Hello. <laughs> and, uh, John Tamney. Uh, and, uh, can you guys give me a real quick Introduction. Um, uh, uh, Brian first, I guess.
1: Sure. Um, I'm a professor of economics. Uh, I speak and write on the ideas of liberty and economic freedom, and um, I've been doing that for the past 15 years.
0: John, can we can and, we get it
1: quick? And-
2: Sure, I'm a political economy editor at Forbes and editor of Real Clear Markets, and I'm a, the author of two books. Uh, last year was is called Popular Economics, or it is called that, and I've got one coming out in May called Who Needs the Fed. So I'm excited <laughs> to be on your show today.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, we uh, we'll have links up uh, to a lot of these things as we go through here. And guys, at the end of the show, if you hear us run across anything. Make sure I get it linked. We'll want to get linked back to, uh, uh, you guys' pages too. Uh, basically, uh, I guess Friday, uh, uh, the, the Musk, uh, transportation, uh, that was a milestone that was pretty quiet, uh, when he landed the first stage on, on that barge. And again, we'll have a link to it so you can see it. Uh, that's three quarters of the cost of a launch. Uh, and to make a long story short, he's talking about reducing his business plan is reducing launch costs, uh, by a factor of a hundred. Uh, there, there's also a quote here from, uh, basically the, the rate reductions, the price reductions of the entire industrial revolution. Uh, from 1700 when you were talking about horse-drawn freight, 1870 was scheduled passenger, uh, and, and that was a one twentieth of of a of a rate reduction. Um, any any thoughts here, guys? On uh, does economics see a transportation revolution starting yet? Um, I I think you're
2: always going to see the revolution, and, and I think what's interesting about this is if you go back 110 years, when the Wright brothers first went into the sky they were mocked for con- believing that they could do it but their initial flight all the investment that went into it cost them a total of $1500 compare that to the federal government's attempt to do the same thing it cost over 50,000 and as the wall street journal freely ad- or washington post freely admitted the federal government's plan worked badly and so i think what you're describing here is not only is the private sector way quite a bit cheaper, but you kind of want those outsiders. Musk is an eternal outsider. The Wright brothers were the outsiders. That's where you're going to see the revolution. And so space travel, it's not going to come from the federal government. It's going to come from these outsiders.
1: Yeah, I think John's right. I think it's, it's, it's productivity is the, is the key and, that, and that's all he's doing. The more people and individuals like Musk are left alone to, to innovate and create, um, and there's less restriction via regulation and taxation, people can come up with great ideas and be more productive, and costs do get reduced.
0: We did a show with uh, uh, Dr. Block. Uh, that's a couple of years ago now. But he was talking about the Malthus, uh, the, the effect of Malthus on economics. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, there's uh, the Earth is part of the Earth Moon binary planetary system. There'll be a link from a shot back that gives you kind of a perspective on that. Uh, that that uh, if you take Malth, how important are the concepts of Malthusian? Uh, population growth, controlled growth, to economics. And is there any way Dr. Block was looking at beginning to try to remove, uh, if it's an erroneous concept, if it's an obsolete concept, that we're no longer in a closed frontier. We're not limited to just this planet. Uh How important is that to economics? Can you give us a feel for that? Either one of you? <laughs>
1: well... Uh-
0: Well,
2: you know, I I think what needs to be stressed is Malthus only ever deformed economics or the profession of it. He never deformed reality. Um, In the real world, producers always know that the only barrier to turning scarcity into abundance is government. Um, Peak oil was always a creation of the economics profession. It was never a a serious thought process in the oil business, and I think you have to apply that to transportation. You expect economists and people from government, and may I add people from the media, to say that we will never do these things in the future. Uh, The Washington Post, going back to it, said, man flying will never happen. That is an impossibility. (laughs) I'll add that Orville Wright who got us flight said that cars would never happen and so we should expect this 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 scarcity coming from the thinkers but you never expect it from from the doers and so that's why you want to apply all these crazies all these interesting ideas because in the real world there are very few limits if we if a man could fly odds are a man can find his or her way to other planets
0: Well, uh, go go ahead, Brian.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, just like John said, it's just whatever we can imagine. I mean, I I don't think we can accurately say how much of any given resource, for the most part, is left and what's yet to be discovered. We can estimate, but we don't, you know, not in any accurate sense can say, even with the amount of oil that's in the ground. You know they keep you know they keep telling us we're going to run out. I think in the 70s they were telling us we're going to run out of oil by the late 80s, and you know now they're telling us we have you know plenty to last us well into the future. And then um, so I think of that, and then I think of also as the way the man continues to innovate and come up with new ideas, you know better ways of using you know things like um uh, like making automobiles and, and, and moving from you know. Durable plastic that's just as strong as steel. Um, um, so there's no. I think, I think as we innovate and create, we come up with new and better ideas too. So even if, if even if there was you know, a scarcity of some resource, as that happens, we innovate, innovate and create, and come up with new ideas to meet our needs and our demands.
0: We've got about seven minutes left in this section. Um, mm-hmm. We. Uh, was uh, supposedly according to my economics textbook that I read in high school uh, Adam Smith was basically declaring mercantilism controlled growth uh, obsolete as of 1776 Um, and you and I were talking about this Brian It, it seems to be Mercantilism seems to have pretty good legs. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to. It gets around pretty well for something that was supposed to have been obsolete in 1776. Um, right. What happened, guys? Can you can you give us a a real brief look at uh, economics background? I guess I, is uh, kind of hard to understand.
1: Sure. Uh, do you want me to go first, John? Am I well. Well, I can, can say a little bit, I and mean, then you can chime in. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, a lot of it starts, to, um, well, I always go back in America, at least. Um, you know, the, re, the, the re-advent of this stuff, or the re-emergence of it, to me, always starts around the, the time of, of around Abraham Lincoln, around 1865, where we see um, the state being more and more connected with big business once again, at least in America. Um, with the you know Lincoln and the railroads, and then you know moving forward up until you know 1913 you know, thirteen with the you know the the, the fed and the, in, the the income tax starting up um, and and all of that you need to see it' constant growth so as as the state grows it becomes more it, it's become more and more connected with business So least we see we see this sort of absolutism and, and mercantilism and so I don't think it's dead um but to me, the good news is is that i I, I see, as the state grows, you know, there's this really natural reaction for, for man. I think to want to be free and want to, you know, we, we feel this. We, um, we feel, you know, um, we feel this. Um, so we, we we have this natural inclination to move back towards liberty and back towards freedom, and, and those ideas that actually lead and, and led to the to um, the rise of civilization. Um, so that's to me. That's the good news. So I see
0: a movement back that direction. John, you have any thoughts there? Well,
1: I would say, again,
2: that I think a lot of this, whether it be Malthusianism or or peak oil and different things like that, I think they tend to spring from government and or people close to it. Um, Let's face it, there's always going to be some business looking to protect its interests through government. But I would tie something bigger and I don't think spoken enough anymore as to why mercantilism is on the rise again. Um, I would say it's not because trade's not fair. Trade, by definition, is fair. It's that we've had floating money for realistically the past 40 years. And this isn't some comment on the Fed. The Fed was very much against leaving the dollar strict gold definition. This was a U.S. Treasury President Nixon thing that Milton Friedman and a lot of top economists recommended. But think about what that's meant for trade. It used to be that money was just a measure. Um, I've got bread. I want your wine. We're going to use this stable measure so that we can get commensurate amounts. Well, what happens when suddenly money's floating? What if I asked one of you to Uh, remodel my kitchen, I say I'll pay you 5,000 a day and 5,000 in a year when you're finished. You know, the dollar could be devalued quite a bit during that time. And what was an equal exchange became very unequal. And so is it any surprise that since 1971, trade disputes and lots of anti-trade rhetoric has sprung up? Well, I think it's logical. Money began. Adam Smith got it right. It was a throwaway statement for Adam Smith when he said, the sole purpose of money is to circulate consumable goods. It's a measure. That's, it's nothing else. But in, in modern times, it's become a very unreliable measure, and as a result... Trade is much less equal than it used to be, and so I think if you if you fix money, I think the mercantilism is a symptom of lousy money. Stabilized money, and that could be through treasury, through private money, you name it, I think you see a big decline
0: in a lot of this mercantilistic talk. There's a lot of people that are, are faulting capitalism, uh, and they're not catching the distinction. Our, a lot of our listeners are... I've heard us talk about, uh, Carol Quigley, Tragedy and Hope. Uh, he mm-hmm. turned it to capitalism. Uh, capitalism, and then another stage after that was monopoly capitalism. Um, real quickly in true three minutes, uh, can we describe monopoly capitalism? What do we expect to see? Is that mercantilism? Is that the same thing as colonialism? Um, there's a lot to do in three minutes, but Give it a shot, guys, well, yeah, I
1: would say there is no free market, um so yeah, so you can't we can't blame the the free market for anything today, so when anybody everybody on the media or in, in politics blames the market, um really they're blaming you know government control and regulation and all these things that manipulate the market because there's no free market, so yeah, um, you know monopoly. You know, competition, in any time the state is heavily connected with those industries in the market, I think, in the controlled market. So yeah, which is maybe still another way of what you're talking about with the with the mercantilism or the cronyism. It's what we typically hear it called today, crony capitalism. And that to me is, is what it is. John? Well, you know, I, I always want to be a,
2: a, an optimist about w- what's happening. Um, is it perfect right now or are all markets free? Uh, of course they aren't. But, um, you know, you look around at the dynamic parts of the U.S. economy, just about every business in Silicon Valley fails. Uh, that, to me, is a fairly powerful sign of a very free and healthy market. Um, you look at where their failure is disallowed, and you see a lot of... Uh, of bad times. You look at Detroit A 100 years ago was defined by 2,000 plus car companies that just about every single one of them failed. And it thrived as a result. The failure is the source of, of the advance. Uh, businesses aren't allowed to fail in Detroit today and, and you see the, the result. Um, I think even if you looked at New York, um, if you look at the financial system, it's been defined by constant failure until the last 10, 15 years. And look at what we've gotten from that. We're seeing that uh, jobs are growing very slowly on Wall Street, and to the extent that they're growing, it's a lot of uh, what you'd call uh, facilitation stuff, um, uh, compliance jobs and everything. And so I I think we've got to look for the positives. It's it's where free markets don't exist in our economy. Things are pretty bad, but you see a lot of dynamic parts of the U.S. economy that are almost totally free market, and, and the results are fairly positive.
1: And I think that's a good, job because that's the juxtaposition. We can we can see the two, we can compare the two, and see what actually leads to prosperity and, and wealth, and, and and good things happening. The fact that you know most of those um, businesses in Silicon Valley fail, um, it, 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 it's a bad thing if it's you, but it's actually a good thing because then resources and all those you know the, it means the market is moving and, and, and it's um, um is vibrant. So that's a good, that's a good thing.
0: Let's let's uh, if we can in the next uh, 14 minutes uh, we'll take a look at our, an economist named Josiah Warren and we'll have a link up to his work. Uh, uh, but basically they decided to have an experiment called New Harmony. Uh, Robert Owen was involved with that. Um, the point to us talking about Malthusian influences that are sometimes hard to Back, back out. Uh, when New Harmony was created, it had, it was still a frontier. Uh, Ten years before, somebody just chimed in. <clears throat> Hello, who's hi, there? Hi, it's David. Hey, David, we're kind of underway. We're 14 minutes in. We were just talking about New Harmony and Josiah Warren, um, or hopefully we're going to talk about it in a minute. Basically, it was a the the frontier had only officially closed in Indiana. for Less than ten years before, so why right. do we have uh, why so, do Josiah Warren, was Warren a and very interesting uh, man? <laughs> can mm-hmm. somebody uh, can talk about New Harmony and all of the different things that were basically, I guess, based on Malthusian uh, concepts? Malthus was still alive at that point. Uh, why would you do that on an open frontier, and how successful was it? Short answer, not very?
1: Yeah, short answer, not very. Not very, not very successful. And I think it's, it's because of those ideas that are rooted in, um, in collectivism in that um, um, it stifles um, individuality and creativity and incentive, incentive to um, be productive. Um, and I um, mentioned earlier to you a conversation we had before we got on the air that I think you can, you know, there's, there's all kinds of examples they could have looked at before, before um, Josiah Warren and Owen even un- underwent this experiment, and, and one was Plymouth Colony for the first two and a half years was, was very similar in that they were going to all work together and live off, you know, you know, equally off of the produce, and it didn't work very well. People were dying, and they were on the verge of, you know, collapse, and then they privatized everything, and all of a sudden that's when it took off. So I think they could have learned a lot from that, and there's others too. But, um, but but I think that's the great failure was just thinking that somehow everybody living collectively together with um, was going to somehow work.
0: John, do you have any any thoughts on uh, on the New
2: Harmony experiment? Well, I think anytime there there's an experiment like this in which in pe- which actions are <laughs> seemingly going to be controlled a bit. It's it's usually not going to end right. Um, At risk of sounding like an anarchist, I think there's something (laughs) to the idea that in our daily lives, we basically govern ourselves. Most of our lives involve very little control. And so that's where some of my skepticism would creep in about anything like
3: that. Mm -hmm. Isn't there some conclusions that uh, Warren came out of that, Uh, period with, uh, that experience with, that he articulated later? Um, I remember reading, this is David, I remember reading some information of him pointing to the necessity of individualism. Uh, Would be a key of his response to it? I would would say yes.
1: Um, That's what, that was probably the key, what he got out of it, that he realized, um, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at, um, from what I was saying, that um, he, he found that to be true, that individuality, individuals were stifled in this, and that um, um, that they needed to be um, free to be able to seek their own means, and their own best way of living, and, um, and that included private ownership of, um, of property.
3: Why is that important, individualism, important in an economic system?
1: Uh, you want to take that, John,
2: or do you want me to? Um, well, uh, yeah, t- to me, individualism is just is, is the mere basic of it. It's, it's the basics of a growing or advancing economic system. Let's face it, Adam Smith was very clear, a stationary economy is a capital repellent. And so without individualism, you as a rule have a stationary economy simply because entrepreneurs always look nuts at the time. <laughs> Let's face it, Silicon Valley is littered with VCs that turn down Google, that turned down Apple, that turned down Facebook. The list is long. Um, so many people have had chances over the years to invest in the individual's and they're turned down just about every time, and, and to extent, with some degree, with good reason. Uh, let's face it, just about every business in Silicon Valley fails, and so you really need this intrepid capital. But uh, in order, and, and I think frequently that comes from rich people, both inherited and earned. But you also have to have these individualistic entrepreneurs, because if you didn't have it, you'd be your, your economy would be defined by stagnation, because again. Just in just about every instance, what
0: they're doing is laughed at at the time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a historic note here, too, that the planned economy that Robert Owens and and Josiah Warren uh, had envisioned, it failed fairly quickly as far as, as how the structure uh, was set up, I think about two years, maybe less. We'll have a link again on that. Uh, but New Harmony as a, New Harmony's still there. <laughs> I'm, I'm a couple <laughs> miles away. Uh, they really had a long-term effect. Uh, the Smithsonian, uh, was started with collections that began from the Owens. Um, a, a phenomenal amount of things started with New Harmony. Some good, some bad. Try not to judge it. You just try to, what works, what doesn't. is seems to be the frontier. I think that's mm-hmm. utilitarianism, um, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts here, guys? Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I think um, um, Josiah Warren, when he left, he eventually started another um, kind of... Um, collectivist community, but it was based on you know, the individual, and, and, um, and he experienced a little more success. Well, he started with the time shop, I think, first, which was um, an idea that you could have a shop based on just cost and cost um, plus the limited price, which is basically just a slight increase to cover the cost of labor. But anyway, he... Um, so I think they are good. And I think maybe one of the big lessons we can get from Josiah Warren um, and those like him is, is, is that the experimentation part of it is, is, is great. It's a great lesson that, because that's what we all do at an individual level every day. You know, we, we try things and as we are successful, we move in that direction. And as we're less successful, we move away from those things. So, so we, you know, there's there's positives that even come from the failures, like, like the failures that John's talking about in Silicon Valley. And um, there's there's always positives that come from that we can gain and we learn. You know, that's that's what we are, right? We're learning um, animals, so we, we learn from these and we build upon those failures um, toward greater success. And, and he even had more success in in his um, second venture. Uh, which I believe was in New York, and which is now Brenton Brentwood. But it, but but anyway, that was built more in private property. It still experienced failure. But at least they had they moved towards you know private property, and individualism, and I think Shai Warren. Many people consider him the first you know American anarchist. Um, um, and and those things are good. The lead us to you know learn and grow. And his idea of pricing, I think, was off because he related prices with labor, he connected prices with labor, but that's
0: another topic. It seems to be ignoring that there is any worth to capital. The capital doesn't seem to be getting a share there. Um, that's just a layman's observation, but I hear later from that same dynamic, it seems like you hear a differentiation between earned and unearned income. Like someone who's trying to herd up a capital fund and keep it from being dissolved or dissipated isn't, isn't doing work. Um, can somebody throw something in here? I'm drowning. <laughs> I'm in over my head, guys, but kind of a theory here. Is this back to we're blaming capitalism for what monopoly capitalism is trying to do? Only some people get capital? Do
1: you want to go,
2: John? Ooh. Yeah, well, you know, um I think Keynes made a good point. He didn't he didn't have all bad points. Um he always said that uh I hate to go back to money, but he said when money's bad, um capitalism is discredited. And so I think there's something something going on with that, but um, overall you cannot blame Capital, capital is the source of the experimentation that moves us forward. I like what George Gilder always says: it's the it's the leap, not the look, that generates the pr- crucial information. And so the U.S. was kind of founded in, in a fun way. Each state uh, could conduct experiments that would be uh, local to that state, and we could take the good and bad from one another. And then let's face it, the more capital you have, the more experimentation you have. Because let's face it, most experiments fail. And I think that's what Brian touched on, is, is at least we got the crucial information from this experiment. And so you just want a lot more of it. And, and for me, this goes back to why I say one of the most stimulative things we could do in society today is to get rid of the estate tax altogether. It's the super, super rich who have the money that are willing to lose, and that's the most crucial wealth of all. For me, I have to invest in index funds, but the rich can, take, can experiment on the crazy ideas, and that's what I think capitalism lacks right now, and I think that's the source of its discredit. People don't hate failure. People just hate a lack of growth, and the lack of growth springs from
0: a lack of capital chasing new ideas. Yeah. And, and you have could. to have the growth. Can somebody touch on that, too? I mean, there are twice as many people alive right now as there were in 1969 when the first uh, moon launch went up. Uh, so if if we haven't increased the supply of world uh, by two then we haven't kept up for capital. Can somebody, uh, anybody, have any thoughts there? About two minutes.
1: Well, I'll go quickly, and then maybe John, if he wants to can chime in. I think John, you know, was tying in with what you said earlier. With um, you know, having all this capital, um, they can invest in the crazy ideas, like maybe like Musk, like you were talking about at the beginning of the show, and, and you know, in, in space exploration and the possibility of maybe. There being something out there that can add value to us that maybe the rest of us don't have the money to, to go and explore and, and, and take that sort of a risk. So I think that's great. And then also your question I think goes back to what we were talking about early, earlier in that um, you know, who knows what the supply of resources are and what we need and with innovation and creativity we can come up with. So the fact that population has doubled, that the oil hasn't, I don't see as a problem because we just, as as we don't maybe have a, as we create and innovate, we come up with new and better products, new and better ideas to meet our needs and our demands. Yeah, I mean, it
2: needs to be stressed always that that failure doesn't discredit capitalism. What discredits capitalism is a lack of growth. And so we can focus on the crony aspects of it, but I say again, we're mostly looking at a free economy. And I think the focus has to be on why aren't people investing more? Why isn't there more investment chasing the ideas of tomorrow? And to me, I would go back to we've had an unstable dollar that's made it far more risky to do that, and plus, there's, there is to some degree an attack on wealth in this country. People accept that there should be an estate tax. I say there shouldn't. People accept in this odd way that the rich, whether they've earned it or not, that, that they should they owe the most in taxes. I say I want the rich to pay zero because they'll they'll fund the craziest investments. Once you do that, I think people are loving capitalism again. People are frustrated right now. There's just not enough of it, not that there's too much of it.
3: Isn't there another problem too? Than that, uh, as um, Warren pointed out, the importance of the individual—that uh, we don't have a way for the common uh, man and woman to be able to participate. Isn't that an issue as well?
2: Um, I don't. I, if we're talking about the United States, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I, I mean, I think I think we have to remind ourselves that. The world's poorest would give anything to live and work in the United States. And that's a pretty strong endorsement that the U.S. isn't where poverty festers, it's where it's cured. Uh, this is where people see their incomes go up. And it, and it horrifies me when I see people from our side, no one here, saying that income in the U.S. has stagnated over the last 30 years. Well, if true, then markets are really, really stupid because during that time we've seen an enormous influx of foreigners wanting to get in on what is so great about the United States. And so... I go again back to the basic truth that you free. We just haven't had enough capitalism. Um, too much. Uh, too much investment has been bottled up by a variety of government errors. If you unleash that, um, you solve a lot of problems, and, and certainly capitalism is elevated to its genius place.
0: Well, let's go on the theory that there is uh, unleashed capital that that a lunar colony is being discussed and we'll have links for some of the different proposals on how to do that, part of the uh, transportation revolution that's quietly underway but doesn't really seem to be observable yet, uh, at least for the most part. Um, Assuming we have a new New Harmony and we'll put it on the North Pole like Musk is talking about of, of the of the moon, um, what advice do we have for someone starting a colony, guys uh, this is basic <laughs> economics. Do we want to control the economy again? Do we want people starving out there and trying to send rescue ships out um, what are is anybody thinking about this <laughs> uh, what are, what are your thoughts, guys <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, to me. That's it, It's interesting because I don't even know what it would look like, to, you know, for for Musk to start a colony on the moon, and you know how would that be organized? I mean, there's there's so many variables to me that's hard to even get my mind around. But I, you know, certainly just hypothetically thinking about it, I think you know, it has got to be built upon the ideas that have led to, you know, if it was even. You know, possible it would be. It would have to be something that would lead to the ideas, you know, that led to, you know, um, um, civilization. You know, the ideas of individual, individualism and limited government and you know, free money, um, uh, sound money. Um, you know, built upon those ideas. Um, I, I, you know, it, it would have to be. But I mean, again, it's so it's so it's, the idea seems so odd with the U.S. It's hard to imagine how that would even transform or take place because if, 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 he, if Musk is the one funding it and it's his, his station, um, basically it's his property, um, right? He's the first one who's landed there. No one can lay, you know, if you go back to John Locke, um, you know, the person who mixes his labor with the land and creates the product, that product then becomes an extension itself and is their property. So the property would be in essence would be Musk's so it would be his, um, and, and then if it's his property, he gets to dictate how that property is used. Um, and then I guess suppose we could sell it in, um, to people who want to invest, and then you have a dispersion of property rights and ownership. Um, so I guess what happens something like that. Something like
2: that.
0: John?
1: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I kind of uh, would mimic Brian here a little bit. It, it's, it's Musk's property, but so I guess the first thing would be to say, hey, congratulations and thank you. For an experimenting like this, we're going to learn so much from exactly this. So that's the first thing. I would then say, without presuming to tell you what to do with your money and property, how interesting if you decided to make it a free-for-all. If somehow you put the property in this new colony up for sale so that people had a rooting interest in it because they own it, but then let it go from there, kind of go for this and our anarchist concept, let's see what springs from people being free to do, to do whatever they want. Um, I want to see that result. Think how much smarter we in the world will, will be after the fact. I say this, but then I look at a place like Hong Kong and I think, okay, well, that was kind of a free place. It clearly succeeded, yet there's still North Korea. So um, I'd like to think that, a, that a, a Musk concept would really teach the world but I don't know anymore.
0: Yeah. How do we have colonies without colonialism? Uh, basically, these <laughs> these earliest professional economists, Malthus worked for East India Company, and guys, that's about as colonial as it gets. Uh, Bentham was he also one of uh, their employees? Um, help me out here, y'all. <laughs> Again, I'm in over my head, but it seems like there's a seems like part of the mysterious why did we leave market solutions for back to controlled growth is well, there were some guys making a buck off of it. Any thoughts?
1: Well, at least in <laughs> those examples well, it, at least in, you know, when you say that, at least in those examples, you know, if those guys are connected to I don't know if there's a problem being connected to the capital um, it's, it's it's a problem maybe then it's being connected to the also to the state at the same time and then then be able to manipulate and control it where it's not free to function and move to me that would be a bigger issue I don't know um, that just by the fact that um, um, that I have these ideas and um, that I'm going to influence and move it in a way that is negative um, as long as it's free to function
0: and move, then if someone has a better idea, it would have been out. There are treaties that have been signed uh, that are going to have a bearing on whose property is it, how do you distribute. Um, one of the key changes that came through the Malthusian effort was uh, redistribution of wealth. Uh, we've seen a redistribution of wealth, and it's toward the wealthy. Um, So what we need is wealth creation here. That's what we're talking about, the opposite of austerity. Uh, John, (laughs) what do you think? Well, um, I
2: think the quickest way to redistribute wealth is to say, uh, rich, go out and get super, super rich. Because let's face it, the only way, unless, unless the rich then sit on that money and literally put it under a mattress, once they've created the wealth, we have immediate access to it. And the only way for the rich to get richer is for them to then find entrepreneurs to match that wealth with. And so the answer's got to be, look, if you're going to give me a a nirvana to create, um, I'm going to kind of say let's make it a free-for-all. But to the extent that you pay taxes at all, um, that tax rate goes to zero if you're creating or bringing a lot of wealth to the area because that is the source of the experimentation and the redistribution that's the quickest way to redistribute it is to leave it in the hands of those who have it
3: so are you saying that uh a trickle down is inevitable in that kind of a situation and uh that's not it's not voodoo ah uh,
2: yeah i mean to me i've always thought that trickle down is a tautology I- i'm sorry let's just uh, uh, brian's familiar with this but let's look at paris hilton you know she's worth what lots, many millions of dollars. She earns millions of dollars a year. She can't spend it all. And so if she puts it in the bank, banks don't just take the money in and pay for the deposits to stare lovingly at her wealth. They lend it out to people who need it, who have a fraction of the wealth that she does. She puts it in the stock market. It goes to businesses looking to grow. Private equity or venture capital, she's helping to turn around. businesses about to die or a future Google or Microsoft. When the rich get to hold on to their wealth, by definition, it's redistributed to the rest of us. And the beauty is, if in fact they get richer, boy, we've seen something really spectacular. That means that the super rich have found the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. And you see it all the time. Silicon Valley was a creation of Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, and Phipps money. The aviation industry was a creation, in many ways, of Howard Hughes, who came out to Los Angeles with a big pile of money that he inherited. Uber is a creation of Jeff Bezos. ESPN was a creation of Getty Oil money, an inheritance. And so you look at that, boy, keep that in the hands of the rich. That's how you redistribute
1: it. Yeah, I would say, John, I think that's great, John. Um, to the money in the hands of the rich are being redistributed to the rich if it's a free market and moving. I think that, that's perfect. All those great things that John has talked about happen. Um, but the the problem, I think, is a lot of uh, you know, big business and gets get attached to what we were talking about earlier. Which they get attached and use government to stifle competition and use it more as protectionism to direct wealth to them or to help their business, you know, survive getting a bailout or whatever. Um,
2: well, that that's precisely why you want to keep it in the hands of the rich, because that's the most certain way that you're going to get capital to the businesses that are going to knock the big ones off of their perch. Mm-hmm. It happens invariably. We've seen it time after time. All of everyone on here today is familiar with what John Kenneth Galbraith said about GM. He said, if we don't restrain it, this was in the 1960s, it's going to soon enough be the whole automobile market. Well, you know, in 2008, it crawled to the taxpayer and got a bailout. And so what you see time after time is if you're, if people are worried about big business, the quickest way to knock it off its perch is to reduce estate taxes to zero and re- reduce taxes on the rich, because that's the source of the capital that's going to fund that which knocks them off of their purchase.
0: And back to reality here, guys, instead of just being a theoretical problem, we've just seen in the last week uh, the Panama leaks of of the beginning to get an idea of how big of a hidden economy there is for tax purposes. Um so it's not a question so much of should we let the rich control their money it's the reality is yes the rich are going to control their money they always have historically what's the most efficient way that everybody can use that and in a, in a growth economy wealth creation how do we maximize that we've got about three minutes left to, to give our advice for the new new harmony um, what are we going to do with this Lunar colony, guys.
2: <laughs> well, let's hope that the lunar colony is a tax haven uh, like some of these other ar- others are. You know, let's face Dude, that's it. That's a uh, good one. <laughs> you <laughs> know, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I've always felt that the U.S. was sort of a big national enterprise zone, but let's make these things even more that way. That you bring your bring your wealth here, um, it's not going to be taxed. and Let's face it, when it goes to Panama or these tax havens, it doesn't sit there. They don't take in those deposits and stare at them lovingly. They immediately invest them around the world. A dollar is the same in Panama as it is in New York City. It's going to ultimately find its highest use. And so let's celebrate the fact that that the rich have a way to hide their wealth from uh, grasping politicians and tax havens. Um, And and if we want to maximize the new harmony in, in, in space, the best way to do it is, once again, to let those who bring wealth there hold on to it.
1: Yeah. And I think if we're, if we're talking about what is the best way to promote growth or, or, or to bring society to growth, I, I mean, all we have to do is look back over the last 10,000 years, I and mean, there's been economists who've done this and, and measured the wealth per person over the last all since quarter time, last 10,000 years. And it's basically flatlined up until the last 225 years, uh, around 1800. Then all of a sudden it skyrockets sky upward. We, you know, well why? Well, I think, in, in my estimation, it can all be traced to the ideas of classical liberalism and these ideas of um, of, of individualism and, and um, Spontaneous order, which we really haven't talked about much, but um, the orders that orders happen spontaneously and is not controlled, and, um, and we need to have some sort of system of rule, of law, and that government and regulation should be limited. And when that happens, markets flourish, and production um, happens, and we see growth. Um, so I think that's the idea that we need to promote, and that's how it happens.
3: So, what is the purpose of government then in the economic uh, system? In the in the in a in a good economic system, uh, wh- what's the restrictions? What's the places they should play? Um, uh, you, want, you want me to go? Or do
1: You want John
3: to go? <laughs> no, go asking, ahead, Brian. If, keep
1: keep talking. Sure. If you're asking me, I'm, I'm saying it's it's it, as, as limited as possible. Um, it, uh, and, and to me, we can go back to the founding of the country where the idea was just to, um, for defense, um, to protect people and their property from people within and also from people who without, Um And that's it. Um, and and, um, and and naturally, in, a, in the first way to interact, law happens via contracts with one another. Um, natural law, common law, happens that way. Um, we don't need someone to sit in, in some sort of magical place like Washington, D.C., um, you know, writing laws down, telling us what we should and shouldn't do. Um, we need figure it out on our own via, via interaction. And certain communities will look a lot different than others. You know, San Francisco looks a lot different than my small town of Coleman, Alabama. And people in San Francisco wouldn't want to live here. I might not want to live in San Francisco. But nonetheless, I don't have any business maybe I don't think telling them how they should live their life, and they don't have any business telling me how I should live my life and um I can live and you know and, and engage in transactions and as long as none of us neither one of us are hurting each other or each other's property. we should be free to um, um interact so I think the government's role is just to make, mostly defend um and maybe even in a you know you even go even further. Uh, maybe even, just to get us to think outside the box, maybe much of that can happen even in the private sphere. And we see the private police um, experiments with pri- private policing taking place in the country, and we see, um, we see, you know, crime falling. We see the cost of policing falling, and we see crime rates falling at the same time, the quality of the service um, increasing. So I think, I think I think maybe some of those things seem to happen in the private sphere that we maybe aren't used to thinking about in that way.
0: Fundamentally, uh, what is uh, how efficient is it for us to be making rules from Earth uh, for how to efficiently run new New Harmony on the North Pole of the Moon? Uh, any thoughts there?
2: Probably fairly inefficient. Uh, let's face it. Uh, we've seen the effect of rules on the planet on which we live. Um, They haven't worked very well. And so I think the idea would would probably generally be that uh, having learned from our mistakes, we're going to recommend very little because we've got no basis from which to recommend it other than the freer people are, the better off they tend to
0: be. Well... Here's going to be the next place after this is a reality and there's the, the new, new harmony is underway. And again, according to the figures and, and the links that we're going to send, we're trying to make the case that it is happening, not just going to happen, but is happening. Um, so what happens when we run out of the moon? I, I can hear the new Malthusians standing by right now to say, but but we're running out of lunar resources. And we're going to have to start controlling growth. Um, we want to take, there'll, there'll be links up to some of the new propulsion systems. Uh, there's a fascinating thing called an EM drive. Uh, and again, this is out of my pay range, pay, out of my pay grade, as they say. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand. Uh, well, actually, what I do understand is they don't seem to understand at this point. Uh, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Sometimes observational reality um, isn't caught up to by the theory. Uh, so that's kind of what we want to end in our last ten minutes or so here. Um, what but there's links here for the, the this growth goes all the way out through our solar system. Uh, as far as as far as we're concerned with our lifetimes and our children's lifetimes, we don't have to worry about running out. Uh, we we get a we get a break here. So what are the, what are the, uh, how does this affect economics, guys?
1: Yeah. Well, well my answer to that is that hopefully they have, they have learned by then, right? Hopefully we have learned that, um, you know, what was life like before that, right? I mean, we, we, you know, if we run out of resources here, we go to the moon, and we, we adapt and we find more resources there, What's to say were' limited then by the moon right I mean the natural the natural extension of that is then to move beyond to other uh, moons planets and and other you know galaxies whatever the possibilities we can imagine and um, and you you can reference the, the article by Hayek the use of knowledge in society um, which basically talks this is you know basically talks about everything we're talking about today in this hour is that you know, knowledge can't be centralized. I don't know enough about any given scenario, you know, outside of myself, to to try to decide for how they should run the moon, and, and therefore, the people that are closest to it and have the best knowledge about it should be the ones making the choices and decisions, and I, I think when we get that far, hopefully, like I said, they, they've learned that, you know, the, the, the possibilities are infinite, and we... And they'll have also, maybe have also started exploration in other places as well, so already even, maybe even it.
0: John, what do you see?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I think that what we've got
2: to remind ourselves is that no matter what, we're never going to run out of these resources. Uh, we'll never run out of oil on this earth. We know this because if it ever came down to one more barrel, they wouldn't drill it. It'd be too expensive. And so the cool thing about all this is price signals are going to tell the world and and the productive what, in fact, we need. Uh, Malthus has constantly been discredited throughout history in that all a high price tells an entrepreneur is where to direct his or her energy. And so I'm excited about this. If, If you can promise me we're going to run out of the resources we have in the U.S. and on the moon, I can't wait to see what entrepreneurs come up with to fix that problem because that's what capitalism is all about. It's just turning scarcity into abundance and finding new ways to serve our needs. What a beautiful thing if we run out of this stuff.
0: Uh, The the M drive that I just touched on, uh, again, there will be links up for these different things we're talking about so people can kind of get a look at this for themselves uh the e m drive is supposed to shorten the trip out to Mars, which is another planetary system, just like earth moon is one planetary system' one way of looking at it a binary planetary system is what the e u calls it um that's a seventy day trip uh is what they're looking at now uh for the e m drive so all of those resources are now basically within within reach. Uh, and farther out than that, we'll have a link to asteroid mining. Um, we're, we're seeing Lichtenstein or Luxembourg, I've forgotten which one, uh, is talking about an asteroid mining program. It's cheaper to move Lichtenstein. Yeah. Um, that goes along with our, that capital is moving. Uh, are the economics people tracking? Are you, what, You guys are watching economics better than us. What do you see there as far as how well they're keeping up with this frontier that's underway?
2: Well, I kind of get the feeling now there's not a lot of interest, but that's maybe not abnormal. Um, Just you wait until Bezos or Musk really achieves something big in terms of space travel and watch how the capital Chasing after the opportunity, there grows. But thank goodness we've got these billionaires pursuing it right now, because their successes, and more importantly, their failures, are going to be the source of a lot of big investment as they develop the information that we need. That we need as a way of finding out if any of this makes sense.
3: Bringing it harmony. full circle. Sorry, I was just going to say, bringing it full circle. I think one of the things that's come out of this hour is an understanding that what Malthus was saying is just not correct and that an economic uh, resurgence can be possible if we get out of the, of the box that says that there is a limit and realize that we can go beyond uh, because the uh, basic uh, uh, theoretical structure uh, points to the fact that we have the ability to grow. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. 100% correct. Yes. Yeah. And I think I'll just point out real quick, just for your listeners, and you guys are probably already aware, that Malthusianism, and, um, the idea that we're going to run out of food and we can't feed everybody um, was um, even incorrect for the day and age in which he lived. Um, if, he was, if he had access to the data and information, about how much food was being produced and the people that, that it could feed. Um, it, 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 there was plenty of food, even in, in his day and age. So you know, uh, so it, it was wrong even then. He just didn't know it because he didn't have access to the information like we do today with the Internet and quick access to find information and data.
0: And bear in mind that the, the Internet is a communications revolution. It was part of the first space transportation revolution. One of the first things you could move was information. Um, first commercial satellites were communication satellites. This signal will be transferred through satellites. Um, we are using that space frontier as we speak. We've got about four minutes left. In uh, that last four minutes, seemed like the one thing that, Josiah Warren took away from new harmony was it's all about individualism um, in our last last couple minutes, each of you what are your thoughts on individualism what's the future for individualism
1: um, well, I'm optimistic about it i mean i see I see this great move towards liberty today so I'm excited about that and I think it is i think it's In the 17th century, with the rise of classical liberalism, you had the reaction against absolutism and mercantilism. Um, Today, we see the same thing as a reaction against um, what we would call maybe cronyism. So I'm excited about it. And I think as more and more people become urbanized and and move into the city, um, um, we see that most you know, political action and people rising up and moving happens in those areas outside of, you know, rural areas. So I, I'm um, about, I think it's about 66% of the population is supposed to be urbanized by 2050. So that, you know, so, so just based on, from that perspective, there'll be more and more people who have to information and be, being able to rise up against forces that would limit individualism. And then also I see, um, um inform- like we're talking about information and communication, the internet and blockchain technology with the ability for us to bypass you know any sort of third party intermediary and just you know, inter- interact with each other I that is it causes me great optimism and then the, um also thirdly for me um, the fact that just like John was talking about, you know wealth is just getting it's gonna get greater and greater, and I think um like right now, the average income around the world is like $10,000. It's like the average for every man, woman, and child around the world. But in 2050, it's supposed to be like double, more than double by then in 2050. Um so that means, you know, that, you know, with more access to wealth, we're going to be more, uh, and information and urbanized. We're going to be, it has a greater movement, I think, towards individualism and back towards, um, to, to, to try to remove this, this, this uh, any sort of centralized forces that limit us.
0: Two minutes left. John, what are your last um, here?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think the first thing we need to say, we're talking about space travel. We're talking once again about distance from control. When you look at the Internet, it is distance in an electronic sense from government control. And so you think about the ability of the individual now to pursue that individual's individual greatness, uh, the future looks pretty bright uh, more and more you know technology always outruns government, and as a rule, it does more talented people work in technology than they work than who work in government and so what we 're going to see right now is a huge leap ahead. you see see an app destroy taxi cartels in the United States right now. What you're going to see is technology races so far ahead that the ability for the individual to thrive is going to be pretty grand. So I think people who get pessimistic have always been wrong, and so let's not be pessimistic now.
0: I think that's an excellent way to try to sum up where the frontier of frontier economics is. Guys, it's been a pleasure talking with you all, and I really want to thank you for kind of Giving us our crash course in where's economics <laughs> for for uh for liberalism, classical liberalism. Uh that was an upshot of the last frontier. Hopefully the rebirth will be from this frontier. Uh great talking to you. Thanks again. This was episode six uh of voices and this was Occupy Frontier Economics. Um Thanks again for your help guys and thanks for Thanks for having you. us.
1: Yes, thanks Terry.
0: It was great.